from Michigan Radio, this is It's Just Politics. I'm Zoe Clark. This week, confirmation of what seemed pretty clear last November, that young voter turnout in Michigan was big. Remember those long lines of new voters on the campuses of Michigan and Michigan State? Turns out it wasn't just anecdotal. A new national study shows Michigan's young voter turnout was the highest in the nation last fall. So what's behind it and will it continue? Plus, the Michigan Senate voted this week to repeal the state's ban on unmarried folks living together. Yes, it is a misdemeanor in Michigan to live with someone unmarried. But not all lawmakers want it repealed. That's coming up. But first, let's welcome Clara Hendrickson back to It's Just Politics. Clara is politics reporter at the Detroit Free Press. Hello, Clara. Hey, Zoe. Dan Netter, reporter for the State News and Capital News Service. Hello, Dan. Hi, Zoe. And Rick Pluta, senior capital correspondent at the Michigan Public Radio Network and co-host of It's Just Politics. Hello, Rick. Hi, Zoe. So, Clara, Tufts University released a study this week that showed Michigan had the highest young voter turnout in the nation last fall. That's at least among the data from 39 states that they have. What exactly does this show us? Well, it puts what we already knew in Michigan, that there was large turnout gains among young people into a national context, that Michigan really stands out compared to other states when it comes to the surge of interest among young voters in this past midterm election. And what were the motivating factors for young voters? You know, it's always hard to say because we have a secret ballot, so we don't know how people voted and, you know, the the breakdown on specific races. But there were some big uh, races, obviously, in in Michigan this fall. You had the um, the incumbent Democrats all up for re-election for statewide offices, new district maps drawn by an independent commission for the first time, which gave Democrats a historic opportunity to seize control of the legislature from Republicans. And then, of course, the uh, the Proposal 3 uh, abortion rights amendment to enshrine abortion rights into the Michigan Constitution in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe. Dan, we wanted you on this week because you are a student and a reporter at Michigan State University. What was election day and week like on campus? Yeah, it was uh, pretty crazy, especially uh, election day was pretty, pretty crazy. I was walking through campus that day and, you know, I, I saw countless people outside on campus, you know, hoping to tell people like, hey, go to the union and vote, go to Bro Hall and vote. The last student in line was there until 1130 waiting to vote. So they waited four hours in line, you know, trying to vote that night. Were you surprised by the turnout? Uh, not particularly. I, I think that I, I was at the pro-abortion rights rally last May. And, you know, I, I saw countless students there. And so it, it didn't surprise me too much that there were a lot of students present at the polls that day because I think abortion was such an animating issue for students on campus that it was, you know, we, we have to vote. You know, we have to vote and make our voice be heard on this issue specifically. Rick, given that the question of abortion access was on the ballot and that many young voters said it was important to them, should the Secretary of State and the political parties count on continued high turnout among young voters? Um, it, it will 
ebb and flow, just because, at least if experience is any guide. But elections in Michigan are changing with the voting laws that we've talked about, with the changes in registration laws, and also that political parties, candidates, and ballot campaigns, and I think that ballot campaigns are going to continue to be a driving force, have become a lot more sophisticated about reaching people where they live. I actually wanted to ask Dan about this, too, that just anecdotally, is he seeing a difference because people are now getting messages on their cell phones and maybe other devices, reminding them to vote, making arguments to vote, continuing to just hammer them with messages until they're annoyed into voting. Okay, Dan, speak for all of the youth, because I've actually (laughs) heard that maybe it's the opposite, that those messages can get a little, I don't know, annoying and that they're sometimes problematic because they get sent to the wrong people. And so then instead of saying, hey, Dan, it's like, hi, Clara, but then Dan's getting the message. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, I I know for sure that that is is definitely the case, at least, you know, amongst folks that I've talked to. You know, Alyssa Slotkin ended her campaign the night before Election Day on MSU's campus. And one of the first things she said to the crowd was like, yes, hi, I'm I'm the woman from all of those YouTube ads. (laughs) And, you know, I, I know that was certainly the case. Like one of my friends, he came to my house right before the election. He's like, I keep on getting all these Tom Barrett and Alyssa Slotkin ads. And it's like, I already know that I'm going to vote. And I just keep on getting these over and over again. That's Dan Netter. He is reporter for the State News and Capital News Service. We're and also- spokesperson for a generation. And spokesperson now for a generation. <laughs> Clara Hendrickson is also with us, politics reporter at the Detroit Free Press. And that's Rick Pluta, senior capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. So, Clara, Democrats, of course, really benefited from that high turnout of young voters. What are Democrats doing and thinking about and discussing in terms of how to keep these new voters energized? I think it's a little too early to say what the strategy is going to be going into 2024. It's it's likely that abortion could continue to be an animating issue depending on the latest court rulings on the widely used abortion pill and how those turn out. So that could continue to sustain engagement a young, uh, among young voters. And it's an issue that Democrats could continue to highlight if it's um, abortion rights continue to hang in the balance. So we'll see how that shakes out. One key thing just on the administration side, there's going to be another major change in 2024 to Mm -hmm. how elections are run in Michigan with adding nine days of early voting. That could potentially ease some of those lines that we saw on college campuses, but that's only if students show up and take advantage to vote in person early. We didn't see them do that with absentee voting and registration at the satellite campuses that were set up on Michigan State University's campus in, in at University of Michigan. So that could uh, continue to be a problem if we see those really, really long lines that lead to people having to vote well past midnight. Right. I mean, we're, we're talking so much and have since November about abortion and reproductive freedom being on the ballot. We cannot ignore that structurally the way that Michigan voters now can vote is playing 
a role in all of this. Oh, absolutely. The 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 acronym is GOTV, Get Out the Vote. And, uh, you know, that starts, it used to be something that sort of started the day before, a couple of days before Election Day. And now when people are getting their ballots in the mail, that, you know, that, that needs to start right away, not just to remind people to do it, but to also make your case for candidates or for uh, ballot proposals. That it's not a, a dynamic change, but it is going to extend those uh, GOTV efforts. And, uh, you know, don't forget on the advertising side, that also means that you've got to start earlier because you are now playing to a diminishing audience the closer you get to Election Day. Well, and to that point, Clara, we were talking about that even last election, that October surprises don't mean as much in terms of swaying the electorate if folks can get absentee ballots and, and be done with their vote voting weeks and weeks before so-called election day, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can always spoil your ballot if you if something, you know, comes up and you learn something about a candidate and you change your mind, you can change your vote, but the voting period is very long and so that sort of shortens the window for influencing people and campaigns try to make sure that they're getting their message out as early as possible and reaching folks who are casting their absentee ballot as soon as they're able to. So we've talked a little bit about policy, right? We've talked about the actual infrastructure of voting. I'm curious about candidates themselves. Dan, I've brought up this story here before, but a little while after the November election, Rick and I were actually speaking with the journalism class at MSU. And it had been top of mind, right? Because I'd been seeing all these younger voters having turned out on campus just a few days earlier. So I asked the class, what's the one thing that politicians need to do to continue to get you to turn out to vote for them? And do you know what they said? <laughs> Don't be old. Yeah, that, that sounds that sounds like some frustrations that I've heard before. And I guess what I'm curious about is it framing it less about actual age and more about do you understand what my generation is feeling or going through? Mm -hmm. Do I feel heard? Are you listening to what it is I'm saying that I want in a politician? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely think that is the the case that uh, a lot of a lot of people are, uh, you know, more attracted to candidates based off of the, the, the things that they're putting forward and how that affects their generation. I think that's maybe a large reason why, you know, so many young people were were gravitating towards Bernie Sanders over Joe Biden. Um, I think that that, you know, comes down to the state level too. why people are young people like voted in such large margins for Gretchen Whitmer and Alyssa Slotkin over at Michigan State. I mean, historically, one of the reasons and you know, we know at least partially from research that the older you get, the more likely you are to vote is because you're more attached to things that where, where government makes a difference. So, you know, how much of your paycheck is taken by taxes? How are government policies affecting your job security and uh, your property values and, and things like that? That that sense of personal attachment that makes people go, yeah, it is. It, it makes a difference to my life who gets elected and whether or not I get out and vote. Clara, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here in the last final minutes that we have, but I guess it's going to sound like I am, which is, you know, we're talking about this increase. Yay, go democracy. Um, but what we haven't talked about is the actual 
percentage. And what it was in this Tufts University report is that 37 percent of voters aged 18 to 29 cast ballots in Michigan, again, the highest in the nation. Is that something that we should all be geeking out about, that 37 percent is the highest in the nation? Better than it has been, but still far, far lower than the turnout rates that we see among older people. As as Rick noted, uh, age is usually a pretty good predictor of voter participation um, and we're still seeing pretty low engagement among young voters. Obviously, a surge in turnout is something to be celebrated, um, but still a lot, a lot more room there to engage people who are who are not participating in the process and who can. Yes, let's look at the glass half full, which is that just eight years ago, in 2014, the Michigan youth vote was at 15 percent. And again, in November, 37. So more than doubled. That is Clara Hendrickson, politics reporter at the Detroit Free Press, and Dan Netter, reporter for the State News and Capital News Service. Thanks so much, you two. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much, Zoe and Rick. Okay, so Rick, we just have a couple minutes left here, but I don't want to end without taking a moment to talk about a vote in the state Senate this week. The vote was to repeal the state's ban on unmarried couples associating and living together. Um, I did not realize until this week that this was against the law in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 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 description is lewdly and lasciviously co habitating. You know, Michigan does have a history of going after, you know, what are considered outdated, anachronistic laws. Um, You know, I'm thinking of the bounty on starlings and crows that uh, were in the law books, a ban on Sunday car sales, that it was illegal to sell automobiles in Michigan on um, Sunday, swearing in front of women and children, riding trains while drunk. And this would sort of go into that category, but nope, this was quite the uh, dust up on the on the Senate floor. And that's because nine Republicans voted against the repeal. Uh, what did they say? Well, not that they were for charging people with crimes for lewdly and lasciviously uh, cohabitating, but that removing the law from the books would send sort of an, an anti-family Message. Yeah, let's take a moment and listen to Republican State Senator Ed McBroom on the floor of the Senate explaining his no vote. Even a minor study of history would show that such laws were not simply the product of cultural mores, but of an underlying understanding of how to build a stable society and particularly one that is safe and stable for children and families. As I've said in earlier debates on the topic, Government exists to provide for the general welfare by protecting people from evil and danger and by promoting the common good. The repeal of this law is not a promotion of the common good. Cohabitation has been consistently shown to decrease the resilience and permanence of marriage and to decrease the potential that marriage happens at all. Meanwhile, marriage has been consistently shown to be the gold standard by which a stable society is maintained. Studies show that it's the best place for children across many different factors and that couples have greater fulfillment and happiness than their unmarried counterparts. 
broken homes are incredibly damaging to the future of children. Meantime, though, it really feels like uh, Democrats, and not just in the state legislature, right, looking at what they're calling these archaic bills, but also Governor Gretchen Whitmer and talking a lot about becoming a state that is inclusive. Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer appearing on The Daily Show uh, with Jordan Clapper. Let's take a listen to that just this week. We're trying to make Michigan a place where every business can thrive and every person has rights and freedoms to make their own decisions and to live the life they want and be successful here in Michigan. You're progressive on guns, on abortion rights. It feels like the Michigan hand, it's a welcoming hand. It is, it's freedom. So it's really, Rick, just a, an interesting dichotomy here between these two parties right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking about things that might drive voter turnout in the future. Let's not forget that, you know, the Michigan Constitution also have uh, some of these anachronisms. In 2004, voters adopted the marriage amendment that said that marriage is a union between one man and and one woman. If you're looking for something to build a campaign around, um, because it's an amendment, it needs to be approved by voters and getting rid of it would need to be, you know, that would need to be done by voters as well, that uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, a campaign to do exactly that. And that is Rick Pluta, senior capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. And a reminder, in case you miss It's Just Politics on Fridays, you can always subscribe to the podcast. Just find It's Just Politics wherever you download your podcasts from. And that is it for today. I am Zoe Clark. Thanks so much for listening. Have a fabulous weekend. Let's talk again next week.